the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is James Boyman, joined per usual by my co-host, Ryan Williams. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, folks. We have a big show for you guys today. We're going to start and kick things off with an international roundup. We had many, many blues out on international duty, so that will take up a good chunk of time, go into some detail about how everyone performed before they returned to Finch Farm. We will then get into a couple news bits towards the end of this segment. We're going to take a quick break after that, and we'll be back after the break with none other than our favorite International Fans Forum representative Tony Sampson to give all the latest and greatest updates on the work that he's been doing with the club as part of the Fans Forum. So stay tuned for that. We'll have timestamps in the description if you want to skip around. But Ryan, let's kick things off with our French left back, Luca Dean. Yeah, Luca went full 90 in a 0 2 loss versus Finland on Wednesday. It was just a friendly. It was just a friendly. Uh, they they dominated for the most part. I, I think they were fairly unlucky. Um, it wasn't a fall for either goal. Um, one was on his side, but it seemed like Steven Nzanzi couldn't have cared less about closing down on a guy. And Mendanda, who's um, Marseille's 30-year-old goalkeeper, I don't know why he was brought into the fold, but uh, didn't exactly do the, do the best job. I think most know that France beat Portugal in the big matchup in the Nations League um, this weekend. Luca did not feature. Um, and they do have a match on Tuesday, I guess we're recording tonight. So that's tomorrow. Uh, France is already through, they already own the tie break. So, uh, the top four, the top finishers in each of the four groups in the nation's league go into the semis. So I would think there's a decent chance he's going to play. So, uh, let's cross our fingers and hope he doesn't get hurt. That's pretty much all I think we need to say about Luca. Yeah, let's move on to uh, Cenk Tosin, who played 63 minutes in a 3-3 tie against Croatia in a friendly match. Scored a PK in that one, nicely taken, and actually had a, a pretty nice little flick as well to get an assist. He then went 81 minutes uh, wearing the captain's armband and scored another PK in a 3-2 win versus Russia. We're playing with most of the match with 10 men, uh, and that was, of course, in the Nations League. Playing mostly as a single striker in a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-1-4-1, which is pretty typical for Turkey. Um, and and Chengtosin likes to play as a, a single striker. Uh, they then play Wednesday. Obviously, that will be two days from today. Uh, against Hungary and Budapest, they need a little bit of help to get through to the next round of the Nations League. Russia needs to lose or tie. And Turkey needs to win 2-0 to make things certain. Brian, what do you think... I can't remember the exact last tiebreaker, to be perfectly honest. Um, but obviously, the benefit here is he is scoring, even though he's on penalties, and Turkey's playing well and him playing up top. I, I'm still not entirely sold on him as a single striker. I just don't think that they have right. a ton of depth at that position. They have a lot of depth and a lot of talent at other places. But again, you know, what's the worst thing that happens here, James? I mean, He's probably going to be in the window, if I had to guess, in January. Uh, I don't think this is going to bring him back into the fold or anything. I mean, Carlo had complimentary things to say about him, but you kind of get the feeling that this isn't the type of player necessarily that Carlo, if he had his choices, Yeah, would I mean, you have to think Carlo think. was rolling his eyes a little bit, being f- not forced, but having very limited options on the bench and bringing Tosin on. Yeah, I mean, 
he's he's not exactly tearing it up. A couple PKs, getting that visibility. He's obviously a huge star for Turkey. There's been some talk about him returning there to play in the domestic league. I don't really think he'll be a player that features heavily for us, similar to, to the lack of depth for the Turkish national team. We have a lack of depth at striker currently, so that's, I think, the only reason he'd feature realistically, and his days are numbered in an Everton shirt, if you ask me. Agreed. All right, so let's take us uh, away from the main continent, and let's talk about Seamus Coleman and Ireland, uh, which Seamus didn't feature Uh, at all. What a surprise. We have another person going out on international duty to Ireland and coming back hurt. So... Uh, Seamus Coleman will return to USM Finch Farm next week to be assessed by Everton medical staff after sustaining an injury. It looks a re-aggravation of the hamstring injury he was already dealing with. Uh, Apparently occurred during training on Wednesday, and obviously he missed the friendly against England. James, where does that leave us now at right back? What do we do going forward? It's a problem. It's a big problem. And it just this consistent clash with the, the Irish national team and our players unfortunately it stands to reason that if you're an irish player playing in the premier league you have pretty much a hundred percent chance of getting called up to the national team if you have even the slightest chance of being match fit and we've seen that occur time and time again over the last few years Seamus coleman no exception unfortunately he's re-aggravated the injury and so yeah it begs a lot of questions does john does carlo view john joe kenny as the straight up backup no questions asked i think that might be the case but we know that we have Mason Holgate, who's played there in his career, and Ben Godfrey, who can also slot in there. I'd have to think if John Joe Kenny's fit that he goes immediately in, but Mason Holgate has done well historically there. I think Godfrey would be my personal last choice there, despite his athleticism. His general unfamiliarity with that role just makes him seem like more of a liability than an asset. I agree. I think Godfrey is the more likely, if we need the sitting six temporarily, mm-hmm. that people have talked about. People for some reason, want to see or think Mason Holgate is the right guy for the job because he played 90 minutes there against Manchester United like one time under Duncan Ferguson. So I I, I actually think that would be an interesting way to in, indoctrinate Gottfried into the team. I think it's probably got to be John Joe, but ultimately I, I still really believe that if they could have found a taker for John Joe in the summer, I think they would have moved yeah, him and, and opted for a new right back. And I, and I, and I firmly believe we need one anyway. I, I think beyond um, the immediate midfield needs, I, I think it's a considerably bigger need than even right wing. I feel like we've got enough guys that maybe we could find a decent combination there. But I, I just, even Seamus, I mean, I love how he started out this year. It's been very promising, but I just don't think he's going to keep it up at his age. And, I just think we need better athletes and and especially in that position, just my personal opinion. I I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been, it's been such a long time that we've been able to take that right back position for granted with Coleman being so consistent for a decade now and his days are no question numbered. And so you have to look for the long-term replacement there. And, you know, we had the trial with Jabril Sidibe last season that didn't pan out. And I agree. There was never really Schalke obviously wanted John Joe Kenny, but, weren't with weren't willing to meet our asking price and so someone will eventually come in for him because he he does have quality but i, I he's just not our long-term solution as unfortunate as it is um but let's talk about a couple of england players ryan let's talk michael keen first and we'll get into the other two here shortly michael keen seems to be staking a claim for 
some serious time with the three Lions. He went 90 minutes on Thursday, uh, playing as a right center back and then a left center back. In a back three, Gareth Southgate loves his defensive players, his yes, defensive he does. formations. And that was in a 3-0 win versus Ireland, the same match that Coleman missed. Looked really, really solid, as he has for Everton so far this season. So could realistically play Wednesday against Iceland. Yeah, the match doesn't really mean much. Um, England's obviously not getting relegated down to group, you know, to the B League. So why would you not bring him into the fold? Um now, conversely, Pickford sat out that match, but Jordan Pickford went the full 90 Sunday in the 2-0 loss versus Belgium. I know this one was uh, somewhat of a big story. I'm sure some, some of our listeners watched the match. Uh, the first goal was deflected at least once by Declan Rice and I think by Tyrone Mings a bit at the end. Pick actually still got a hand on it. He did okay on it. I, I don't see any complaint about that goal. If anything, for someone to react... Pickford's reactions are always very good, and his hand strength's great, too. He almost got it. I mean, it was with his fingertip, hit it off the post, just didn't quite stay out. The second, the free kick by Dries Mertens was quite a good kick, no question about it. The angle maybe wasn't the best. Maybe a maybe a longer keeper or quicker keeper gets more of a jump and gets his hand on it. I don't know, but he did play well, I thought, overall. He had a great save versus Lukaku up close in about the 76 on a cross. It was kind of like a give and go where Rom kind of had a one toucher over to the left and got right on one. I mean, almost inside the six and picked in a nice little job getting in front of it, making a nice little reaction reaction save. Uh, but with Belgium for sure onto the semis at this point. Um, yeah, the Wednesday match versus Iceland is, is pretty much pointless. So I, I can't imagine Pickford would play and it might be good for him to have another break. I mean, do we think this is the press overreacting again? I saw some of it. Um, and how do you think this bodes for Pickford in the future? I can't see him playing Wednesday. Could you? No, he probably won't play. I mean, it makes sense for him to get a, get a little bit of a rest and probably Southgate to, to rotate his keepers anyway to give those guys some action. I mean, we've talked at length about the media reaction to Pickford lately. So in my opinion, probably the less said the better. If you want to see us go in on some Jornos, uh, check out our toffee tv usa episode that released last wednesday uh, go check that out on their channel but yeah i mean i think this will this will do bode well for his confidence going forward but we'll talk about uh, of course his competition shortly here who is also potentially staking a claim for the number one spot in the everton lineup yeah that'll be interesting we'll get to that in a second um but to conclude i think with the english matches um our other guy who scored a couple goals for us this year dominic calvert lewin <laughs> Um, he also went 64 minutes in the three nil win. His PK, oh, sizzling. Great. What a hit. Sizzling. Oh, it's great, right? Um, I, he really didn't see a lot of the ball most of the match. He, he came in, uh, when I think he played the last 24 minutes versus Belgium. He was largely ineffective, but he really didn't have much service again. He looked very much out of sync. It almost like the guys didn't know how to play with them, but. You know, I, I would have thought Garrett Southgate putting him in there with Kane would have changed the formation a bit. Nope. Still no. playing that 3 4 3. No. Dom was playing almost on the right. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I'm completely boggled by some of the tactics on this. I mean, it's amazing when scores a goal at all. Um, they had some chances in this one too, but I, I just. It's, I cannot believe that they start out with Rice and Henderson. They're down 2-0 at halftime, and Garrett thinks that, Gareth, pardon me, thinks 
that the right choice is to bring in sub Henderson in for Harry Winks. I, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense for me. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'd be very interested to see if Dom plays on Wednesday. I could see him giving uh, Tommy Abraham a shot. Um, I don't know. It's all a little bit confusing to me. Um, I, I would have, I have a feeling Dom will come back energized and fire up. I, I don't know what you think, but it just, I don't know if they know quite what to do with him. And he's very different from Harry Kane. I mean, very different. Harry Kane plays back farther now, almost as a false nine at yeah. times. Has done a really good job holding the ball and playing it through to other people. Yes, they were missing some people, Sterling and Rashford, but um, I, it just seems like they don't know what to do with Dom when he comes in. Certainly, the three-four-three where he's not the center guy makes no sense. Right. I mean, it, we know he's a player that isn't going to be super influential outside of the eighteen unless he's holding the ball up, winning balls in the air, and mostly does that in a central position. Why Southgate thought pushing him out to the flank would be an interest would be a smart choice is beyond me and why he felt the need to name seven defensive players effectively in the lineup and leave his, his attacking players fairly isolated is also a bit of a mystery. I understand that it's Belgium, but I did see a lot of frustrated f friends of ours across the pond watching that match with the decisions made by Gareth Southgate. So, you know, maybe he's not the, the best player to rely on when you need shot creation chance creation but he's we know he's one that can finish them and the pk goal i mean the game was pretty much gone at that point but he hit it with a lot of confidence and put it top bin so really great to see that it was it was lovely to see for sure and then i guess to go back to our initial point with jordan pickford uh jordan's immediate com competition robin olsen uh sweden's number one I don't know if that carries quite as much marketing <laughs> cachet as England's number one today. Uh, he went full 90 versus Croatia Saturday in the, in the nation's league. Um, they did win two one, which um, was kind of a big match. I mean, if they don't win that one, they pretty much are not going to avoid relegation to league B, which I find a little surprising. I mean, their group's tough, but S Sweden has a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he made a couple decent saves where, he, I think he only had four shots on target, but two of them at least he gives up any rebound and they were not impossible shots to say, but they were hit hard. I mean, it's going to be a goal and he caught both of them. They did give up a goal, but it was an absurd goal. I mean, it hit off the attacker, then off his defender into the corner, kind of ricocheted over his shoulder. And he, yeah, I mean, one of those rebound goals too was made an extra time. Um, he looked unflappable. He looked really good. They play France Tuesday. They need a result. France is already through. So it'll be very interesting. I would imagine Olsen gets the call again. I guess the, the question remains. I don't know how much faith Carlo places in international duty, but I mean, I he's got to be making a claim. It'll be very interesting to see how Jordan Pickford responds coming back back from break where, you know, we really need three points immediately. Yeah, and it's a very winnable game, of course, against Fulham and when we return. And I, I think Olsen is staking a claim, right? He looked so solid when he got plopped into the lineup the first time. And we know Pickford's had his issues, and he seems to he returned to the lineup and still had some questionable decisions against Menu, though he was largely solid. As as long as there's competition, I'm happy. You know, we know if Jordan's feeling that pressure, that internal pressure rather than the external pressure from the media and all this other BS. The internal pressure of knowing that you have a guy who's breathing down your neck trying to take your spot in the starting lineup is going to bring out the competitive nature that all of these professionals have, and it can only be a good thing for the squad overall. So whether or not Olsen, you know, 
starts following the break. I think it's clear at this point that he deserves at least a few appearances for us this season. And at some point, you know, if he keeps playing the way he has been, it's going to be really hard for Pickford to to justify if he stays on the same track. Now, obviously, I still think Pickford perhaps has a higher ceiling. Obviously, Carlo rates him more. But Olsen seems to have been kind of, I think, a really astute signing on, on Brands' part to bring him in because obviously Loso wasn't doing the job to provide the competition that we needed. Seems like we have that. So I'm pretty optimistic. I like him. Uh, I, I, I think some of the critique of him last year, I think, was unfair. I understand he lost his, his job at Roma, but his loan spell before it. Cagliari was really good too. Uh, I, I just, God, he just inspires more confidence to me. Yeah. He just seems so much more sound. I was impressed with his distribution when I've watched him. He's going to make a mistake like all their keepers, but I, I just wouldn't be surprised if at this point, Jordan just needs to sit down for a little bit, let things kind of blow over a bit. I, I don't think we're losing anything, put it that way. Uh, and Olsen definitely wasn't coming here not to play. He's literally started at every single gig he's had in his whole career. Uh, pretty much, and that's why he left Roma to go play. So um, anyway, regardless, um, Gilfie Sigurdsson is another name out there who is uh, a mainstay for the Iceland national team, even though things were not so good for them in the past week. In fact, it was pretty much a total downer. Um, they had their last playoff to basically try and qualify for Euro 2020. All they had to do was beat Hungary, and they absolutely did not. Uh, in fact, they lost in an extra time goal that was unbelievable by everyone's favorite Hungarian from the Red Bull franchise in Salzburg. Uh, but he went 90 minutes. Um, you know, he he uh, I mean, it shows you how bad it was. Their Swiss coach, um, Eric Hemron, uh, basically announced his departure after after they lost. But he played as a, a second striker in a 4-4-2, which is probably right at this point. Um, I, I just, you know, he's not going to see that much of the ball when he has a chance. He maybe buries it. Uh, his free kick goal he had was pretty hit hard. I mean, maybe it could have been saved, but he smoked it. Um, he also had a decent chance to tie the game in the 94th, but, you know, it's in the box. Any other forward, I think, would have just turned and tried to head it. But he, of course, tried to chest it and settle it. I, I don't know what he was doing, but. Um, to top it off, and he he played fine. And to top it off, he went a full 90 minutes Sunday in the Nations League in a 2-1 loss to Denmark. Sadly, Iceland tied it in the 82nd only to lose by a penalty kick in extra time, which um, happens to give Denmark a chance to go to the semis versus Belgium with a win. So I misspoke earlier. I, for, I, thought, I thought I was wrong there. Denmark still got a shot. They just got to beat Belgium. Strangely enough, it was in a 3-5-2, and he played right center mid. I, I don't know. They have their match Wednesday against England. I can't imagine Sigurdsson would play, but you never know. It's not like Iceland's an amazing story on the scheme of world football and kind of how they've done such things collectively. It's only a country of, I feel like, 330,000 people. Yeah. They have an unbelievable amount of coaches. They build all sorts of indoor facilities. They're an amazing story. Um, so I don't know how much youth you would give way to there, um, but I guess you never know on Wednesday. But to me, I, I don't know. Is there anything new here? It seems like this is kind of how he is. You could argue he plays better for Iceland. Uh, I don't know if that's really true, but I, I don't. I don't think this really moves the needle for us anymore. I still don't see how he contributes to our team. But I, Ancelotti has been picking him still. 
Yeah, you mentioned the fact that he's a mainstay in the Iceland lineup, and he's also a mainstay in the Everton lineup, uh, which kind of shocks people, including myself, on a week-in, week-out basis. I am still but shocked. I, I No, I don't think it really changes the, the calculations for Ancelotti. It's, I mean, he's certainly more of a talisman for Iceland than he is for us. He's a guy that, that really makes a lot of their offensive movement happen, but he just can't be relied upon in the Premier League consistently anymore. So the sooner that he's not featuring for us regularly, the better, in my opinion. He's great on the ball. When he yeah, has the ball no with doubt. time and space, he's deadly. His technical capabilities are tremendous. But this is a Premier League. When is that ever the case? Right. Um, so uh, changing directions in a player who's like the complete and utter opposite, even if they played some places similar on the field. Alex Awobi, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, this match he Your played in, man. I, apparently, I, everyone thinks that he's my favorite player now. I do defend him, though. I do think he has qualities. But this... This match is a hard one to describe. He went the full 90 on Friday, uh, African Cup of Nations qualifying. It was uh, a wild 4-4 draw. Um, To laugh about that, they were up 4-0. I don't think James even realized that Sierra Leone came back and tied it. Uh, Alex had two of the goals. Um, The second goal, there's an angle from the back that looked kind of slow-mo and the keeper didn't move. The one from the side, you realize to me, it was a cracker from really far away. Keeper probably should have done better either way. Uh, But (laughs) I just describe his game. I watched most of his touches. I mean, all sorts of high risk passes. Um, I mean, all over the place. Every other pass was almost an unnecessarily fancy, crazy pass. He was feeling it. He was happy. It was kind of nice to see. But uh, they're still on top of their relatively easy group L uh, for qualifying. And, And honestly, the stadium... The Ogbe Stadium grass in Benin City, Nigeria, was not in great shape that day. It was kind of long and everything would die. I mean, it, it was a very strange condition and a very strange match. But hey, we've got a rematch on Tuesday in Sierra Leone. So apparently it's uh, worth watching. African Cup of Nations. I'm sure this one could probably be just as crazy. I, I don't know. I, I saw a very happy Alex Awobi seemed to be enjoying himself. It seems like he's at his best when he's expressing himself. I don't know. Does that change? I mean, I feel like Alex made a decent cameo last match, too. I wonder if we're getting to the point where maybe Alex is and he was playing mostly on the left or in the half space, kind of on the left. And he was their central playmaker. What do we think, James? I mean, do we think there's a chance Alex comes out and starts next match? I think there's a there's a decent argument to be made for it, depending on what our personnel selection looks like. I mean, his two goals were were pretty well taken. Again, it's not against the the top top competition that he's in against week in week out in the Premier League, but he is a player that we know can be very creative. He has the sort of high high risk high reward aspect to his game yep. at a lot of times, and at, at times that can be kind of a luxury. I think where you need to play more smart, and he's he's not always going to be the guy that plays the safe pass. He's not always going to play the, the Sigurdsson role of the back pass. He's going to look to get the ball forward aggressively. And I think there's an element that I think there's a, there's an argument to be made that we've really been missing that type of play the last several games without Richarlison. They don't fill the same role. They're different players, but that type of risk taking forward minded uh, player, I think, can, can contribute a lot to the team and bring something different. And he did look really good against United in the cameo appearance. And he gets again, we don't need to defend him any more than we already have, but he is a player that's really different from what else are other options in that same role. And 
um, in that half space, I think that's where he's he's best suited and where he can contribute the most for both club and country. Yeah, that being said, he does seem very good on the right side, too, if you've got James playing more centrally. We saw a very short time period with Man U. I, for some reason, and I don't know what it is about him, he just, when he plays on the right force, he just seems more effective. I don't know if it's one of those situations where he almost feels doesn't feel as compelled to try so much stuff and be the central playmaker i don't know what it is obviously i'd like to see him get another chance out there because i'd like to see james in the middle but we will get to james in a second let's move over to the south american continent and talk about the fantastic display of colombia okay not very fantastic um yeah they got hammered in a three nil loss to uruguay let's start with yeri mina uh, Yeri didn't go the full 90. He did get to the 90th. Unfortunately, earlier in the match, he took a yellow, which was off, frankly, a dive by Luis Suarez. What? Real. I know. What? I, he dove. Can you believe it? I, I'm going to fall out of my chair. I'm shocked. I, I know. I know. You're shocked, you know, and I mean, he never played for a club that has a bunch of divers on it either. But uh. <clears throat> anyway, moving on. Um yeah, so, and then he got sent off for uh, a kind of a fall throw and a header in the 90th versus Darwin Nunez. Um, yeah, I mean, he went in pretty aggressively, and you see kind of the arm go out. He kind of had his elbows up. He looked a little surprised. I think the team was generally frustrated. But the good part for Everton is he won't be available to play Ecuador tomorrow. But that's a match they really need to win. I, I think most people described his work as shaky. Uh, I did not watch every moment of the match. Uh, I did watch most of his touches uh, retroactively. It's only so much time in the day, man. And um, the first goal was partially his fault. His pass in his own end was not well received. I don't know if it's just a mix-up. Cavani kind of eventually got it. Yeri's in a tough spot. He goes to ground. I, I, I actually thought he had the ball. Somehow the ball got under him uh, for the first goal. It's a big loss for them. They're sitting seventh right now in combo ball qualifying, and uh, they really need to win this one. That loss, too, is at home. Uh, that was in Barranquilla in the El Metro. Uh, that's actually where Junior plays. I don't know if you're familiar with Atletico Junior. It's the former home of Carlos El Pibe Valderrama, one of my favorite mm. players. Sorry, bringing out the MLS legends. There you go. Oh, I know. It's unbelievable, right? Um, I think he actually won the league twice there, but that's neither yep. here nor there. Uh, what we do have, however, is from Marca, uh, the periodical. We have a column by one Carlos Gonzalez. And it's in Spanish, and I'll I'll sprinkle a little bit of that in there. But I think it's kind of a hot take, but at least it was it was an interesting one to me. And the title of it is "Enchilati Tambien es culpable del mar partido de Yerimina," and all that simply means is Ancelotti also is a little bit at fault uh, for the bad game of Yerimina. So let's think about this for a second. In what possible way could Carlo Ancelotti have affected that? And it's a bit of a stretch. And, and he does in the article say, El máximo responsable de sus errores es el propio Mina, which is basically saying it's it's Mina himself, really, who's who's primarily responsible for it. But I think his point is uh, later in it was that, and I won't get into the Spanish to this one, but his take was there was no physical reason he sat versus Manchester United. And he said, look, we all know todos conocemos al defensor Colombiano, meaning, as we all know, the Colombian defender tends to break down mentally if he does not have support of the gaffer. I, I don't know. I mean, James, do we think there's anything to this or is this just kind of a stretch for a hot take? 
It seems like a bit of a stretch by the Colombian media. I mean, I think the the fact that he was benched for Mason Holgate is more of a, I think it was more surprising because Holgate was just coming off that injury than it was to see Yerry Mina dropped. I think if you had to drop one of Michael Keane and Yerry Mina, Mina's the one who's looked a little shakier. Michael Keane's been rock solid. And I think Mason Holgate, alongside Michael Keane, you get that synergy where Holgate has the the better pace and the better uh, ability on the ball. Yerry Mina and Michael Keane are a bit too similar in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's any fault of Yerry Mina that he was dropped, other than if you can fault him for being too similar to the other big center back that we have. And I think this is a bit of a reach, maybe putting some things out there that aren't aren't totally based in fact. I have a hard time blaming Ancelotti, but I don't know. Maybe he's very familiar with Yerry Mina. Maybe there is something to the fact that if he's not getting the backing of his manager, then his head drops a little bit. I think that's probably true for a lot of players, but to the extent where it would affect him on national duty, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Well, either way, it was an excuse for me to practice a little yes, bit of my Spanish on the delightful. air. So there you go. Yeah, it's still my accent, still not the greatest. Um, <laughs> I, I well, the one thing I will say though is I, I think splitting those two up, Keen and Mina. While I definitely agree with you, they're not the best pair. Uh, I, I would have been really surprised if Holgate was able to just step right in there right. and do a great job. And frankly, they didn't do a good job. I think chemistry is so important at center back and. Yes, you need to build into that. I don't blame Carlo for wanting to change it up because they had been leaking goals. I don't think it was necessarily the fault of the back line as much as maybe the midfield. It was very a, a risky move, uh, and I do think going forward, yeah, it'll be Holgate. Holgate and Godfrey kind of one bank of the more quicker kind of athletic group, and the other side is the Mina and, and Keen. I personally think Gary Mina is a better, more overall better player than Michael Keen. He's willing to push up a little bit. He's yeah. better with the ball. But I can't argue Michael Keane's form has been excellent so far this year. So it's a tough call, but I'm with you on that one. It's got to be one of Mina or Keane with Holgate and Godfrey. Hopefully Mason will come back ready to go and and like the player we saw most of last year when we come back. I think it's going to be very important against Fulham too because they do like to press and attack. Now the second of our beloved Colombians, and certainly probably not the second in social media, was James. <laughs> Um, your namesake. He went a full 90 in that match. He played right wing in a 4-3-3 for a while, but they switched things up fairly early. He played a little more centrally from them on. I have to admit, he looked a little sluggish. He had a pretty good chance to equalize in the 12th minute. It got blocked. I kind of wonder if he would have gone near post on that one and scored. Would the match have been different? Because that's a pretty good Colombian team. Yeah. Um, he was hacked a couple times. I think he was fouled five times and at at one point, uh, Martin Caceres, uh, right back from Florentina, just absolutely just skated up to him and just kicked him. Uh, I mean, sat there and looked at him. I was like, that really just happened? I mean, he kind of like spun away from him and he just kicked him, just like right in the ankle. And, he, and Hamas went down and looked up at the ref like, really? That's not a yellow? Uh, I don't know. Very strange. Kind of Uruguay tends to play very physical. Yes. Um, but what I thought was very interesting is before we went, before the match, Colombian boss Carlos Cuisero. Uh, was quoted by Marca again. Apparently, we're Marca's spokespeople today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you remember, he was at Manchester United for a while as an assistant. Um, James has a, has a very specific situation. We're in contact with him, his coach, and Everton. The decision is work and quality and try in this time that we have the opportunity to work with him to develop and present the best possible version. We are attentive to all the details with the medical team and make the best decisions for him and the team. I have a feeling that's some pretty bad Spanish to English translation, but yes. I, I, I don't know what on earth that means. I think they can deal with losing 
Yeri just because they do have some depth at center back. But I mean, they, they have no he's got to play Tuesday, right? I, yeah. I think he he has to. Uh, it's at by the way, it's at uh, one of my favorite nicknames, La Casa Blanca, which nice. is um, LDU Quito's team. LDU, that stands for Liga Deportiva universitaria for those who always see those letters before the names of some of the South American teams and don't quit get like the university kind of connection. Just figured I'd throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I'm a little concerned. I mean, he did not look a hundred percent and um, I, I got to believe they're going to play him, but I'm kind of holding my breath on this one. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. I mean the quote and f- the quotes from Carlo Strange. as well, Strange, it all, right? well, it feels to me like they're trying very consciously to talk around the nature of his injury, which we all know was uh, to the cojones. <laughs> There's my only <laughs> Spanish contribution to the show. <laughs> nice. So, very good. So, you know, basically they're saying like they have to monitor the situation. We don't need to get into too much detail either, but it is, it's a weird injury that you don't see very often. Like the rehab is pretty much just rest. So it seems like it's potentially at the risk of becoming aggravated and they're trying very, very much not to have that happen so they're in contact with everyone and he's of vital importance to us without question so it makes sense that they're being a little cautious and i'm sure that the everton uh you know that we've been in contact with the with the colombian colombian team and let them know to treat him gently handle with care and no, I, but I think you're right, Ryan, that <laughs> again, I'm trying. It's, it's just all, all, it's so absurd. The it's whole all euphemisms. I, I know. I feel like there may be something else, though. I, he's just banged up in a couple other yeah. ways. Yeah. Wow. There's some debatable word choice right there. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on uh, to Brazil, where we have two Brazilians, two of them was the last time you could say that we had two in the starting 11, although they did play some younger players, I think, because they were playing at home against Venezuela. Uh, Alan went the full 90 on Friday. Um, they pretty much dominated the match. I think Venezuela had maybe one shot on target. Uh, Brazil had the ball 74% of the time. Interestingly enough, uh, Alan started playing in a 4-3-3, and he he was a defensive mid. Uh, it wasn't that much deeper than Douglas Ruiz, who was playing kind of on the left side, but but he really wasn't being the shield that maybe we need him to be with uh, Everton, Ribeiro in front of him as more of a 10. Sony Everton's all, I think there's two in the squad too. Mm-hmm. The other Everton's there too, that we were perpetually linked with. That was completely nonsensical. No one should have ever believed it, but they did from Gremio. Another story. It, yeah, it was just kind of interesting. I have to admit, I'm starting to warm up to the idea of playing a defensive mid behind him so that he has more freedom. But I would argue that him and Luis seem to play okay together at times. And, and I, re- and I really think that um, playing maybe two would be helpful. It seemed like they switched to a 4-2-3-1 at about halftime when Lucas Paquette came in for Louise, and Paquette was playing a little bit higher, so Alan was a little deeper, but they had the ball so much, it was kind of, he wasn't really, like I said, the shield. That being said, he's questionable for the Uruguay match on Wednesday uh, at the Estadio Centenario, site of the 1930 World Cup. That's a historical stadium. That's one which is would be really cool to tune into, and yes... The United States did play their semifinal versus Argentina in the 1930 World Cup there. It's also worth noting that we did win our group and finish third there. Thank God there was no third place game because in the semis we got beat 6-0 by Argentina. But that's another story. But anyway, the scuttlebutt on Allen is very interesting. Globo Sport, uh, Sports Witness, you know, made us aware of this one. And, and the actual quotes are that he's doubtful. 
press conference this afternoon, manager Teet claimed he doesn't know if he can count on the player as a clinical issue may take him from the game. So um, it said Allen had muscular pain, at least according to members of the national team's press uh, following the match. And apparently he is still struggling. I, I don't know what that means, but if he sits out, I certainly won't be upset considering how rough the Uruguay Colombia match was. Um, I, you know, I, I got to believe maybe he's okay. He looked fine. I don't know what your thoughts are. Is this maybe a, an overreaction or what? Well, I hope that they're going to be cautious with our players because we always hold our breath when players leave for international duty because we know that the risk of injury is high, and especially in South America where they are not afraid of putting in a tackle no, clean or dirty. Not. They go in with reckless abandon. So I do hope it's it's a caution. We know that Allen had an injury problem shortly before the international break. So this is possible that he's potentially re-aggravated that. That was like a groin thing um, or an abductor, something along those lines. It could be a similar thing. It could be something different. Um, I'd be surprised if he played. So hopefully he's able to rehab it and and come back to Everton at a close to 100% or at least at match fitness. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the potential savior of Everton's dire run of form. And that is none other than our talisman Richarlison who played 77 minutes starting at center forward in a 4-3-3 for that match against Venezuela. Um, trying to play on the, the back shoulder, trying to occupy their center backs, shifted more right in the second half when Firmino came in and Gabriel Jesus uh, playing a little bit higher. Missed, really bad miss off of a, of a Jesus rebound in the 32nd minute. Got more involved on the right-hand side. Seems like he's able to do that pretty regularly. But at that point, Venezuela was sitting pretty defensively in a 4-5-1, and they struggled to break it down. That's that's pretty much what I saw as well. It was interesting to see Firmino almost dropping more into midfield. Mm. Um, and even when Richarlison was playing up, he was kind of playing that way too. Uh, they're definitely very different different players. Um, I, I don't think Richie looked remarkably sharp, but he hadn't played in a while, so it was good at least for him to get in there and do some damage. Um, and then I think to round it out on the U- U21s, I, I don't think Joe Virginia or Godfrey made any of the squads that I've seen so far. I know Tom Davies was on the bench for England's U21s versus Andorra. Yeah, that's a real tough qualification group for them. The U23s, they're up by like 10 points for heaven's sakes. They've got like 25. No one else is like uh, better than 15. Um, and that pretty much rounds it out. So, I mean, quick summary. Um, We definitely have some injury concerns, which is always the number one issue coming off international break. I think Coleman's the biggest one. Allen concerns you. We'll see how James fares. Still got a couple other matches. Let's hope Luca uh, and Michael Keane and Richarlison especially don't get hurt. Knock on wood. And it's good to see Tosin and Gilfie knocking them in. It's certainly not hurting their value um, if their destination is eventually elsewhere. And I got to admit, the Olsen-Pickford competition looks Looks very interesting. It's certainly getting closer, and Olsen's definitely doing himself some very good duties. He'll face most likely a tougher test against France. And yeah, other than that, you're seeing Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It still doesn't seem like Southgate knows how the heck to use him, and Wobie was just having all sorts of fun, which was good to watch, but that's just not all going to fly in the Premier League. So let's hope he comes back energized and ready ready to contribute, James. I think that pretty much does, does us for the international wrap. Yes, it certainly does. So let's just move on quickly here before we break in a chat with Tony afterwards. 
Interesting story breaking from Football Insider here. Talking about Jean-Philippe Gabamon, of course, the man who's been MIA for Everton basically since his arrival. And the rumor is that Everton are potentially looking at a January loan for JPG to essentially get him game time, get him uh, regular game time in the second half of the season. Certainly, this wouldn't be any kind of permanent move, but some way to get him more consistent game time than he might earn regularly, uh, given the midfield reinforcements that we brought in. Uh, Ryan, what do you make of this loan possibility for JPG? I don't make much of it at all. Um, you know, I will have to defer to our false nine football transfer sources reliability guide, uh, which I do often go to. <laughs> no, I, there are only a couple sources that that you know are truly reliable. Uh, this is not one that's even in the guide, but it's definitely dubious to me. It's very vague. Any one of us could have said, hey, well, maybe they'll do something with him because he needs to get up to fitness. And some people think it was a bad deal to get someone like that. And, you know, like brands could magically affect them not getting injured or something. I don't know. I think it's stirring up stuff unnecessarily. I think it'd be a very, very bad idea. I would think he'd want to start the U23s. He hasn't played in so long. Getting back up to game speed. And I really do think the way our team is set up, I could see him playing games off the bench, sitting back behind if we had a lead behind Allen or even Decore pushing up higher. You know, if Hamez is going to be right, we can spread all three of those guys too across the midfield. Maybe we go back to the Christmas tree. I just think he does a lot for the team. And even if he's at 75% of what he was, I just think kind of the way he plays might be very beneficial. I mentioned earlier that maybe bring someone like Godfrey in there to kind of play behind Decore and, and Allen to free up Allen to kind of go hunt down balls and Decore to play a little higher and kind of recover balls and things that he does very well. Uh, so I, I just don't think it makes any sense at all, especially if someone's coming off injury like that. I understand he's training in France and whatnot, but why the heck would you want that guy away or farther away from the team? I don't want him in the hands of any other trainers mm. at this point. I, I, I I want to make sure we have close eyes on him. He's a big investment. He's still young. He's super talented. He could be an outstanding Premier League player. I know I was stoked when we got him. I thought he was a great choice. Very hard to replace kind of guy, but him sitting back to protect the back line and he has some positional versatility. I, I think there's no way he goes anywhere, but that's my take. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you just because I know that we've looked anytime we had, like, for example, the match Allen missed, there's really not a whole lot of quality cover. I mean, you could argue Fabian Delph. But then very quickly, you're talking about Tom Davies playing in like a sitting defensive role, which isn't ideal. And so for that, for that added depth that he brings, I don't think we can afford to lose him. Now, from his personal perspective, does he stand? I think, well, A, I think bringing him to the U23s to start to get him some regular game time is, of course, the right move as he's rehabbing that injury. As he gets back to match fitness, does it make more sense for him to come off the bench for us occasionally, rarely? And I'm not saying that he won't ever start because that could entirely be the case. Anyone could get injured and we could need him, which I think is, again, it reinforces the case to keep him. But I also think coming off the injury as severe as it is, throwing him, not throwing him, but it's almost like he would need an additional step between the U23s and the first team where he can kind of regain his confidence. The I can't even imagine what the last 18 months for him has been like just to get so close to returning and then to just tear your Achilles in a freak incident has to, I would be, you know, 
really reluctant to get back into full speed, full contact football just for the potential to, again, pick up another injury. Hopefully those thoughts aren't in the back of his mind. And I'm sure he's probably been working with some kind of sports psychologist to kind of deal with the trauma or whatever you want to call it from that injury. I don't think it makes sense from Everton's perspective, but from his standpoint, perhaps a loan to France or, or some, elsewhere might be beneficial just to see him potentially start week in, week out. And then he comes back to us in the summer, a fully confident, fully healthy player, and he's ready to contribute next season. But I do think in the immediate short term, from from our standpoint, we can't afford to lose that added depth. Yeah, I could see it, right? I mean, it's plausible. It's not insane. I yeah. just think it's fairly unlikely. But no, your points are very well taken. Under those scenarios, I could totally see it. It'll be interesting to see how his mentality is when he's back, though. That's a great point. That's the mental aspect of this may be even more difficult to come back from the physical. Because I must say, on all the films and the workout stuff, I mean, he looks good. Unit. <laughs> from he a physical is a standpoint. unit. Okay, he's a beast. I, I loved watching him play in Germany. It was just... I mean, he never goes to ground. He just shoulders people off the ball. And I just was, I was so excited to see him play at Goodison because the first time he put someone into the, into the signage, you know, and he's a very nice, soft-spoken guy, but he is an animal on the pitch. I, I just think the fans would love him. Anyway, a couple last notes, too, before we move on to talk to Tony. Uh, first of all, the women's, Everton women's take on Liverpool Wednesday in the FA League Cup. I think that's important to know, the Continental Cup. So for those of you who uh, weren't aware, um, that's, I guess, probably be a third Merseyside Derby for the women this year, which is kind of exciting. Mm. And then I think the last one is there's a lot of talk about potential movement in the, in the, in the winter window. I don't know if there's anything really concrete enough for us to talk in too much depth with. I think the one name I have seen a lot is um, I think Millick's probably the one that I've, I've seen the most. Yeah. Um, and maybe if something is a little more concrete comes out, we'll do something similar like what we did with Isco, where we went pretty in depth on Toffee TV. Um, check that out too. And, and I think it'd be very difficult to bring in um, bring in Millick while Jenks still here. It just doesn't seem like that would make sense. I mean, he'd have nowhere to go. But I could see a couple people moving out maybe in January and some things happening. I know Carla would love to see some changes, so we'll see. But if we see something a little more concrete, something a little more reputable, we'll definitely get into it in detail. Uh, James, any last wrapping up before we move on to Tony? No, I mean, I think the Millick stuff, I'd be shocked if this is the last that we hear from it. So you'll probably hear us talk about him down the line. But for now, the less said, the better. Let's move on. Take a quick break. Stay tuned. Afterwards, we'll be with you with none other than Tony Sampson. All right, folks, Ryan and I are back and we are now joined by none other than Tony Sampson. Tony, it's been a while since we talked last. How have you been? I know it has, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, very good. Hi, Ryan. Good to good to catch up with you. Great to hear you as usual. Uh, it's good to break up the monotony of the boring American accents <laughs> on the on the line. <laughs> you you yeah, I'm excited to get into some of this stuff, too. It sounds like you've had some brilliant interactions out there. Yeah, no, it's been it's been busy. It's been good. We're uh, we're we're moving we're moving things on. 
Great. So let's let's just get right into it here, Tony. So the first uh, topic for discussion is going to be, of course, the new stadium. There has been a lot of discussion. Ryan and I talked about it on Toffee TV last week about the survey that's gone out. Um, some updates on the progress as well. Can you speak to that a little bit, please? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, this is something actually that we, the fans forum raised with the club uh, at its last meeting. Uh, we, As you know, we, we have regular monthly meetings and getting an update on this process was uh, was one of the things. And as you say, James, there's been a few developments, um, you know, since that. I guess there's probably sort of two issues in there. One is, you know, where where where's the club in terms of, um, where is it at in terms of the, the status of the application and actually sort of, you know, getting the thing approved and hopefully starting to get built. And then the second bit is, as you say, is I think what we've seen over the last few days in the, the club issuing um, a survey to, to get a, a little bit of insight and, and a tester from from fans about sort of, you know, seating and hospitality choices. So, I mean, on the, on the first one, you might recall that the, the club um, in response to uh, a number of issues that were raised by a few stakeholders like Historic England to the to the original um, planning application that adjusted its plans in response to that. So it made a number of sort of design improvements and a number of uh, other changes to take on board some of the feedback that it had with Historic England. As you know, um, given the the legacy of the site, there was a, there's a lot of interest in terms of sort of protecting that history. So the club worked hard to you know to respond to that, and it then you know, in line with the regulations, it then has to go back out and do another consultation, which it did and which which concluded in, in October. Uh, it was on the 22nd of October, I think, was the, was the final day. So that, you know, invited further opinion and comment on those revised proposals, um, which have now been submitted. And I'm not sure if you guys caught up on, but we, the North American supporters groups rallied around to to sort of throw its, its two penithin on, uh, on that consultation. Maybe we can talk yes. about that in a minute. Um, so we um, that that went in, uh, and now uh, that those that revised application is going to be subject to discussion at the Liverpool City Council uh, Planning Committee, which the club hopes will be um, concluded before the end of the year. So I think we're waiting on the exact timings as to when that will happen. But you know they're hopeful that that will happen, as I say, um, by the end of the year, and then hopefully we'll give them. You know the green light to go. There is still a chance that the application will be called in by central government, and uh, sort of just given the scale. But I think, given you know, I think given the scale of this and the sort of economic positive economic impact, you know, I think again the club will be hopeful that you know it would still get through that that bit of process. I don't think that the timescales are particularly clear. Should it get called in on how long that would take? But uh, as far as the club are concerned, I, I know that again. You know, you guys will know that the extensive consultation they've done right throughout this process has been really positive in terms of support for the city, you know, given what it's going to do for the local economy and jobs and regeneration and also tourism. Uh, and I think that, again, this sort of the latest consultation that they did, uh, again, they were very pleased with the levels of response there. Again, you know, the, the informal feedback they got was, you know, people were still really supportive of the project, you know, even with the with the slight tweaks that they've made to the planning application. So, you know, hopefully that gets through the gets through the processes um you know by the end of the year and, and things can start happening but yeah it was great to see the north american groups um, getting involved yeah. in that process as well yeah i thought it was very interesting too the fact that they kind of in essence sent planning permission as well for some of the infrastructure improvements in the surrounding area to almost get started on those first i don't know what your take is on that but that seemed pretty bullish. Uh, the club clearly must be confident that this is going to go through in the way they think it will. Um, 
Tony, obviously, you know, rallying around the troops in North America to express support around it is important. Certainly, we're having a stronger voice, but that's got to make you feel pretty confident that things are, uh, I guess, full speed ahead, shall I say? Yeah, I mean, look, all the signs are that, you know, the, the club thinks it's sort of still on track. Obviously, we, we know that there was a slight sort of slippage with the timelines due to COVID and, and other issues. Um, and, you know, I'm not a planning expert, but, you know, my understanding is that the, the second application that you're referring to that it, it, um, that it applied for recently was, was to sort of start some sort of remediation work, uh, I think, across some of the walls and to, um, you know, start getting cracking with some of the drainage. So, yeah, you know, I think it, it does, it, it sort of, it, it, it suggests that, you know, the club are positive. I don't think that they would, um, you know, they'd submit that, you know, if they weren't. And they, they have been, you know, they have been positive about this all the way along. And as I say, they've, they've consulted very, very carefully uh, all along the process. And, you know, some of the objections from Historic England, I'm not sure that people were that surprised with it. Um, mm. So, the, you know, the club's been working with, you know, it's almost like sort of, you know, their their role, um, you know, to raise some of those objections or make sure that they're taken into account. So, um, you know, and the club's been working with them all along the process. So, so yeah, hopefully, and again, you know, I think the other the other intent of sort of getting the remediation stuff is is that you know they don't have to then start that process again once they get the you know the broader approval. So it's just, right. I guess, it's a bit of sensible planning as well uh, on in that respect. Yeah, it's definitely bullish. Um, so, yeah. so really, kind of what happens next, and and then speaking, kind of leading into the survey, what role what role is that survey really providing? Uh, and I think I think there's some. It's very interesting all the takes on the survey. I'm sure you'll have a unique opinion on the on those as well. Yeah, sure. Well, in terms in terms of what what happens next, what happens next? Um, as I say, the the council will convene, uh, you know, this special committee um, by the end of the year, and then you know that, that will that will indicate whether they are content. And then, as I said, to you know, central government will, make, will take a decision. As I said to you earlier, what I'm really pleased about is that you know this is this is. The interest in this has obviously gone beyond just sort of Liverpool's borders as well. Um, you know, we talked about the supporters letter. It's been fantastic that you know thirty-three North American supporters groups, you know, felt moved to you know have their say in this as well. I, I think it's um, I think it's brilliant um, that you know people have been prepared to get involved in this. It was something that there was a bit of chatter in our um, sort of WhatsApp community of the supporters groups about you know look you know should we should we throw our hat in and should we you know should we have something to say about this you know Everton, Everton's the thing that brings all of us together isn't it um, and you know in the supporters community and you know at the end of the day we we are America's team you know with the you know with the players and and, and the rich heritage you know that, that, that's there I think there's been over 150 sort of players and coaches and, and other people involved in, in football that have had a link between North America and Liverpool and it you know it, it went beyond the city you know and that's what the supporters groups were Sorry, beyond the football, we're, we're keen to uh, explain. You know, Liverpool's got such strong connections with North America. You know, whether it be from you know the people that have emigrated from Liverpool and settled in Canada and uh, you know in the USA. You know, some of the architectural links that have influenced some of the earliest mm-hmm. sort of skyscraper buildings, and obviously there's the the musical and cultural links as well, which you know sort of really sort of strengthen that. So that was. You know, that's. I think that was one of the reasons why you know the groups were keen to you know to, to get involved in this, and you know we're, we're, we're really pleased. And actually, the, the club sent back a you know a, a sort of nice letter, sort of you know thanking thanking the groups for getting involved. So, so that's good. So yeah, it's good. It just shows that people want to get engaged in this. And you know, we, even though you know we can't always get there, you know, we can't get there every week. You know, there are times obviously when we do go over and 
will go over to the new stadium. So having our say in what this means is is important. Yeah, I think they might be surprised on how many people will go over there. You know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 it's going to be hard to replace Goodison, obviously. And it's frustrating for all of us that can't get over there now. You know what I mean? I definitely wanted to make this at least an mm. annual trek, yes. if not more. Same. Yeah, I know. I can't wait for us to go over together, James. That'll be fun. Yes. Um, Yes, that could be a little ugly with some of the uh, some of the other pen- individuals over there. Have but, to be Ryan's um, bodyguard. Oh, no, you yeah, are. you might. Well, I, c- I could take care of myself, I know, but I might need kidding. some help. Uh, might, no, I might. <laughs> I might. Um, so let's talk about the survey, though, Tony, yeah. because I, I, I was very interesting. Uh, like I said before, some of the reactions on it. We talked, James and I, on Toffee TV about kind of what it's like and, and some of the differences between different uh, different sports in America and stadia and things like that and. Some of the survey stuff maybe wasn't too much of a surprise to us, but some of the reactions, especially for some of the locals, was interesting. So I was kind of curious as to what what your take is on some of those things. Yeah, as I, I think you're right. It's generated a lot of discussion, hasn't it, on a, on a number of different levels um, in the last few days. I mean, I think I'd say the, the levels of consultation throughout this process have been have been excellent. Um, you know, mm. right from the sort of very early concept stages, and obviously, you know, with sort of Dan Dan Mace and others. You know, I think the the levels that you know the club and its partners have gone to 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 get the views of you know not just Evertonians but people in the city and beyond has been has been excellent and I, I think sort of deserves credit. So you know it wasn't a surprise to me that the club then wanted to you know use this time to get out there and and, and get a little bit more insight. And I, I think the main principle behind the survey was to test you know, some of the concepts and potential sort of fan experience and match day experiences, you know, obviously within within the new stadium, whether that be, you know, some of the seating options, you know, there was even, I don't know if you guys have actually seen the survey, but, you know, the, you know there's options around, you know, what people's thoughts are on things like safe standing, which has obviously been, you yeah. know, a long-standing sort of debate in British football and, and what, what, you know, what would that look like? And then obviously there was, a, a you know, a, quite a big focus, I think, and this is what's generated the discussion around what some of the hospitality options were, and actually just a range of hospitality options. You know, there was everything from sort of, you know, open bar areas, sort of, you know, on the concourses um, to, you know, sort of tunnel clubs. I don't know, you know, if you, you've seen that, and I think Man City do that this year, you know, where people can, you know, look in and watch the players going up and down the tunnel and, you know, iron each other up and that sort of stuff. And then obviously sort of some of the more traditional things like lounges and I think uh, loge seating was the was the new concept that not not everyone was uh, familiar with. So I think it was to sort of test, um, you know, just test sort of people's maybe sort of potential intentions around what were the things that would maybe motivate them. And I think what generated this, the discussion was a couple of things really is, you know, what what does it mean for sort of, you know, um, you know, match day going fans that maybe, you know, aren't on, aren't the ones that would normally sort of take advantage of hospitality or can't take advantage of, of hospitality or don't want don't want to. And then secondly, what are some of the price points that um I think are associated with that? Because the the survey did include some hypothetical price points around some of those options. And the club, I think this is important to stress as well. I think they were hypothetical. You know, the the club, um, you know, made made clear that you know they were. And again, I think there's a you know you can argue whether you know is there's, they they will use a range, I'm sure, to sort of try and test you know what the future buying intentions will be. But I think critically, what it does, you know, a lot of the debate was, is this going to price out um, you know match day going fans from the city, which I think is a very legitimate question. Yes, um, but. 
But I think, um, you know, and having been one of those uh, when I was back in the city, you know, that's really important. And got family and friends, you know, this, this is this is really important. You know, we're all excited about about the new stadium. We're all excited about, you know, the prospects that, that brings and all of the things that we've talked about earlier. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, you know, Evertonians can get there. So, you know, I, I completely get um, that argument. But I think... Um, I think what's important to stress, or certainly, and this is my perspective, is is that you know in engaging sort of you know people's potential intentions around the hospitality. What it does, it, it allows it allows the club and its partners to make some assessments, engage what those future intentions and willingness to to to, to buy those higher end um, you know products are. So they know what people are prepared potentially to pay. Uh, and then I think what that then does is it allows the club to look at sort of the bigger picture, if you like, and step back and say, well, OK, if, if that's the sort of the potential sort of revenue that we can generate and that's the levels of interest and these are the types of hospitality that people are prepared to invest in. Uh, I think what it then allows it to, it allows that then to inform the club's broader pricing strategy and ticket strategy. And, you know, I, I don't know where that's going to end up, obviously, but. You know, I think the club has always been uh, really thoughtful, um, and in fact, it's been it's been excellent in terms of you know it's how to price things. And you know, I don't think I don't think people expect to say to, to pay the same uh, largely. Yeah. Um, you know, for a, for a, for a brand spanking new stadium. But again, I think you know what the club's going to do is going to use this information now to sort of, as I say, to gauge that, and then that will inform you know inform the the pricing strategy. And look, you know where. We've we've noticed actually the fans forum, you know, the the level of debate that this generated, and you know some of the questions that have been raised. So what we've done is we've said to the club, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna take these on board and make sure that even outside of the survey, you know, the points that have been raised around affordability, around match day fans uh, being able to to get there, uh, and that experience, you know, we're gonna take that back to the club to make sure that that's captured as part of this process. So. Uh, and again, you know, and if people, you know, on on social media and feel as though they, you know, they've got things that they they want to add to that, then they, then please sort of feel free to sort of reach out to us or the club to to feed that in. And, and the other thing to well to say is is that you know we're what are we three four years away from this, so mm. um, there is a little bit of time here, you know, for for the club to sort of you know consolidate this information. Obviously, you know, we've we've still got to get the plan and application as well sorted through, but you know, this just allows them to sort of maybe get ahead of you know some of those issues. Yeah, Tony, I mean, you hit on something there. You said that the club have been very thoughtful in how they've gone about specifically the survey, but I think it extends to the larger conversation we're having here where they've been very thoughtful and I think transparent in the way that they've gone about soliciting feedback and then taking that feedback and actioning it, which I think is appreciated by everyone and doesn't come as too much of a surprise. It's kind of in the nature of the people's club to, to do things along those lines. But it's important with the survey when you're doing very initial information collection of this nature that you are casting a wide net so that you can explore all of the potential options and make judgments based on the feedback you get from that. And so I know that the pricing is is obviously going to be a really, really uh, sensitive issue for a lot of people and it makes complete sense. And the prices, I mean, at Goodison Park, I know even now that of course, Everton have frozen season ticket prices for a long time. They're, they've done a really good job of maintaining that affordability. But I do think, you know, it, it's inevitable that taking on the massive task of, of building this new stadium and funding it furthermore, that, you know, it's it's not going to be probably the same pricing structure, but I'm sure that Everton will 
as they always do, remain fully committed to the average fan, the average match-going fan, um, and be very mindful of the price sensitivity there. So um, I, I think it's safe to say that we're in good hands as far as that goes. Yeah, I hope so. And and as I say, you know, I think um, you know, I think it's partly the, the fans' forum's responsibility as well to make sure mm. that you know that that voice is heard. So you know, we'll definitely um, you know commit to doing that. I think the other thing I'd say, James, as well, is is that you know, I'm sure there's going to be many more um, surveys, you know, different you know, uh, different forms and different types that will you know that will you know get to we'll seek to get views and and feedback and insights you know on, on a range of different issues so you know i guess this is you know this is just one of many that that i think that the fan base can expect to get involved and you know as with everything you know for those people that get the chance to to be involved in you know no, please please make sure that you know they do yeah no question now let's pivot and talk about a little bit more uh not stadium centric but still fans forum centric topics because i know there's been a lot going on behind the scenes um, could you give us a little bit of an update on what the current existing priorities, the latest priorities for the fans forum have or are, I guess, as it stands currently? Yeah, I mean, sort of on a on a broader level, uh, you know, there's been there's been a few things that that have been priorities for us. I mean, obviously, you know, there's some of the fallout of things like Project Big Picture have been have been priorities for us. Um, we actually think published the minutes of the of the last meeting today that are on the the main Everton website on the, the fans forum section there. So, you know, we, we had, we were, had an active conversation with the club around, you know, obviously I think some of us were all, you know, a lot of us were caught, caught by surprise around some of, some of those proposals. Um, but I don't think it's, it's commonly known as well that there were some specific proposals in there around sort of fan char- charters and sort of capping prices for away games and things like that. And the, the point we made to the club was, you know, making sure that, um, you know, if something like that resurfaces, because, you know, whether it resurfaces in that form or in another form, you know, it's bound to, um, that they make sure that, you know, Evertonians are consulted on that. So we had a really healthy sort of exchange on that. The stadium, you know, we've already talked about. One, one of the other things as well was, um, you know, was around, um, you know, how can, you know, we might come on to this in a minute, is how do we, you know, how can Evertonians, given where we are at the moment and sort of people not being able to get back into the stadiums and sort of have their normal routines, you know, what's the best way to, you know, for us to, you know, to stay engaged and how can Evertonians stay engaged? And I know that's something that you want to, you want to talk about at the moment. So we had a really, a really uh, open conversation there about, you know, how could the club sort of address, address some of that? It's actually taken some action today on that, which has been brilliant. Um, from an international perspective, uh, no surprise here, but, um, it's our it's our it's our old friend um, retailing and merchandising. <laughs> yep, knew that was coming. <laughs> there we go. Um, yep. So yeah, look, you know, we I think I think we talk about this every time I come on, don't we? Which is you know, which, which is good because it means we can keep the, the issue live. But you know, you'll remember. I mean, this has been going on for years. You know, the the, the, the visibility and the availability of, of official merchandise and the range of that um, abroad. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a, a long-running issue, and you know, you guys will know from the survey we did um, earlier on this year with the fans forum. You know, it was, I think, it was the number one, the number one priority, and something that you know the fan base wanted us to do, not not just in America either or North America. You know, same for Europe and, and South America. And, and I think, I'll be honest with you, I think there's still a, you know, a lot of frustration out there that you know the merchandise isn't readily available. I mean, even. I don't know if you saw it, but even Richarlison was complaining that yeah, I did see. Uh, yeah, you know <laughs> that they, 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 you know, they couldn't get, you know, they can't get things in, you know, shirts and, and stuff in Brazil. And look, there's obviously all sorts of re- sort of economic reasons. Um, 
sure. you know, around sort of importation costs and sort of, you know, currency conversion and all, all that sort of stuff that I know, I know sort of there, but that's, this has been something that we've consistently raised certainly throughout this year and, and are continuing to raise. Um, again, I think for the benefit of some of the listeners, you know, we, we have an, a series of different project groups within, within the fans forum and retail is one of those and international has been, you know, a, as I say, it's, it's been a running issue that, you know, that, that, that we've raised. We, we raised it directly with Hummel earlier on this year when we met with their chief brand officer. We've raised it with some of the other partners, you know, in the hope that we can sort of see how, how it's how it's moving. So we, again, had a quite a, a healthy exchange with the club on this about, you know, when, you know, when hopefully can we sort of ex- expect to see some, um, you know, some, some progress on this? Because I think it's something that, you know, continues to to frustrate people. So the club, the club gets it. You know, they they've told us that you know they they understand that, that you know, and it's being addressed at the senior, you know, the most senior levels within the club. So uh, obviously, you know, we're continuing to have some of the conversations, you know, with some of the partners to the club, so humble and others. So you know, we're going to sort of keep 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 raising that as a as an issue, and um, hopefully, we'll we'll get a little bit of progress. It's just tough because Hummel, and I'm sure you guys talked about this in your dialogue with them. The stuff this year. From the training kits to the actual kits, I mean, it is really attractive and nice looking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the disparity of prices and some of the challenges of that is is frustrating. Um, but geez, I mean, they, they clearly have to see the economic benefit of of especially good looking guys like me and James, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, see, <laughs> no, wearing, I see the way you excluded me in that. There, that's not, <laughs> uh, no, not, not well, you know, you're not on video with us. I mean, that's <laughs> no. Uh, no one's as good looking as Baz, though. We we already know that, of That's course. Yes, right. That's what we have to hear every time we talk that. to him. Oh my God, <laughs> he paid us every time we've talked to them. <laughs> sorry, I'm outing him. Uh, sorry, buddy. But no, I mean, some of the stuff is attractive and fantastic looking, and I mean, the more people you can see walking around on it, it's eye catching. Every time I've got any of the new stuff on, it seems like people people have something to say about it. it's a conversation starter, and we should be proud of the club, and I think the direction it's going. So. um that's tough work. Uh, there is a lot of economics involved in it, no question about it. But um, really happy that it's always been been uh, you know important part of the forum and an important part of our concern is representing the club overseas. I think so. Yeah. Uh, long may it continue and keep yeah. making progress. I mean, I think you're right, Ryan. I think you're right. I think the response to you know, to to stuff that Hummel have put out has been has been amazing. Um, you know, I, I think you're right and. As I said, you know, we're continuing to raise, you know, we, we've given some sort of practical suggestions to the club as well around, you know, maybe, you know, how it might be able to sort of raise some of that visibility and, you know, in which markets it can do that. Um, you know, I've uh, talked about this before, you know, Ireland, obviously South America and North America. The, the club did did actually, um, I think with a number of different partners, it did increase its sort of online presence um, in the in the US in particular. So there was a point at which you know only last season stuff was available sort of on on a limited number of sites. So that's expanded now. Um, and, you know, so there's, there's there's certainly more more sites you could do that. But again, I, th- I think the range and the you know the pace at which, which pe- people can do. It. But like you t- you talked about Hummel as well there, uh, Ryan. I um I was lucky enough to to actually have a I've had a couple of meetings now with um with their US operation. Which was which was great, uh, and and what impressed me about Hummel, um, you know, and you would expect the partner to sort of know a little bit about you know who they do business with and all the rest of it, but you know even here in the US, you know when I when I spoke to the head of Hummel USA, uh, Jeff, who was, was fantastic, you know his 
you know, I think I tweeted about it. You know, that, you know, he really got Everton. You know, he, you know, he he knew about you know bits of you know he knew about our history. You know, he knew about you know where we'd got to in the season. He knew about sort of all the ins and outs of the signings and what have you. You know, he talked very passionately about some of the community work that had been you know that had been done and. You know, it, it just it just impressed me. You know his knowledge of that, and it, you know it, I was really encouraged by that. So he's um, we're having an ongoing conversation. Actually, I was really encouraged by that, and obviously it was an opportunity to to raise some of the issues around availability and what have you. And you know, so he he understood that he wanted to know about the network of North American supporters clubs as well. So you know, how do they work? You know, what do they do? What are they interested in? How do they engage? All that sort of stuff. And we're actually um, we're actually having quite a, an interesting conversation with them now about a potential sort of mini partnership with them and some of the North American supporters clubs, which I think is quite exciting. So uh, watch this space. Was he surprised about that, about how kind of intertwined and how connected I think we've all become because in much, much of it's due to you as well. But I just feel like the community is different now than what it was two years ago. I feel like it's, I mean, quantum leap forward. You know what I mean? I feel, I feel at least I personally feel it, which is ironic considering what we're dealing with right now in the virtual world. Uh, I probably feel more connected to multiple uh, U.S. supporters group, and maybe it's just the pod, but I don't think that's it, than, than I ever helped before. I feel like we have a real sense of togetherness and organization, a long way to go still, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, he had to be a little bit surprised about that. I think so. He, he clearly knew about it. Um, you know, he, yeah. so, you know he's, he's, a, he's a native and you know, he, he actually has a background in soccer, so you know he knew about it and its connection, but I think you're right. The point you made there, Ryan, is I think what did surprise him a little bit was, uh, in a pleasant way, was was the strength of the connection um, between and the levels of interaction that sort of going on there. You know, he I don't think he sort of really understood sort of you know what that network, you know how it sort of knitted together, uh, which is obviously the strength. And look, you know, you you mentioned sort of about how things are moving forward. You know, a lot of people have been working on this over a lot of years. Um, you know, so you know we've been trying to sort of build on that, but I think, you know, you're right as well. I think in times like this when, you know, I mean, obviously America is a very big country, uh, but, you know, in times like this when, you know, you do have to find different ways to connect. Uh, I think that connection and that engagement is, is actually even more important, you know, particularly with what's, as you said, what's going on around the world. So, you know, we are trying to move things forward and, you know, there's a really engaged, excited um, and interested and creative, full of ideas, um, sort of engaged network that really wants to seize this. And, and again, look, I think part of that is, has been because it's seen from the club, you know, that there's, you know, a real platform here and a real opportunity to, you know, to to, to build on, on what we've got. And, you know, we've talked about this in previous pods, have me around sort of the things that sort of hammers and all the rest of it and what, you know, what, what that brings. But as well, I think also they're seeing that the club is responding you know, it, it is receptive. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about the survey. That was only one piece. But, you know, they wanted to understand. It wanted to understand, you know, what was the feedback, whether it was retailing, whether it was how we can drive more around the community, whether it was access to tickets and things that, you know, that, that you and I have talked about. So, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're really getting that, you know, the way in which they've embraced things and involved the U.S. community and the North American community and, you know, in in, you know, in the in the Blue Family and other campaigns and the, the response. So, you know, I know that, you know, Beth Jones, for example, who's in the fan engagement team there, who's now got specific responsibility for, you know, supporting the supporters clubs and working with them, you know, is is sort of regularly checking in with them and getting feedback. So that's all good because, you know, it gives people a sense of, 
you know belonging and and that they know that that's where they're going and and they and and they and they're listening. Um, you know, I mean, this is sort of you know beyond sort of international. But I don't know if you saw today that um, you know Everton Everton has put out a you know a tweet and is inviting people wherever they are actually to to get together for an, a remote event on Friday. Um, before the Fulham game, it's it's to it's in recognition of the fever they've had that people are missing this thing that's evident, mm. you know. And in this case, yeah. sort of missing sort of the whole experience around going to an away match. Um, and it's it's heard it, it's got it. So you know they're, they're putting on this event, and look, it's a, it's a small step. I know it's got other things going, but I think it, you know, I think again, it it sort of speaks to it. So look, Ryan, I agree. I think there's um, there's lots for us to do. I guess I guess what's important now is is how do we. You know how do we sort of really get hold of this this energy, um, and then how do we? I think it's about scale for me now. How do we make sure that infrastructure is in place to really, really capitalise on, um, you know, on on what we're doing, and that and that's the bit that you know a number of us are sort of working on now. Yeah, I think I've said to you before we've got, you know, we've sort of developed a an informal WhatsApp community, and it's just been brilliant because people have been throwing in ideas about how they organise their clubs. Um, you know what different types of membership opportunities they do. You know how they sort of channel any resources they get. You know, does it go to charity? Does it go into supporting different things? You know, they, they, they're exchanging ideas around. You know, how can they better engage some of their members? And you know, merchandise we've talked about. I was literally just before I came on here, there was an exchange around. You know, things like shipping costs because loads of loads of people in the UK and in Liverpool want to get their hands on. You know, the you know Brian Molina's U Toffee scarf or yeah. Uh, you know the pin badges from the New York, or you know the Sacramento toffee sorts of stickers and stuff. So again, that's you know that's the sort of there. So uh, as I say, I guess for me now it's it's and for us it's how do we move beyond that and how do we have some you know sort of without sounding too cheesy some sort of scalable sort of infrastructure that means that we can take it beyond there and make sure that you know we've got a you know, a proper platform to so that allows people to engage, to build ideas, to sh- to share and exchange, and and make that connection, you know, much more easy. I think. So, Tony, you hit on the the importance of being able to create a scalable operation because, as as much as Ryan said, the community of Overseas Blues has grown over the last couple of years. It's going to continue to do so. We all hope and, and expect. So, what is what are the kind of next steps for building out? Um, I guess an infrastructure for overseas blues to stay connected and, and feel like part of a community. Well, what, what's been happening so far, as I said earlier, you know, around, I mean, if you take sort of North America as an example, what we've been doing there is sort of trying to foster, you know, what already exists and really build that connection, you know, again, through some of the, the basic sort of, you know, social platforms, things like WhatsApp. Um, we, we've now expanded that internationally. So beyond North America, you know, we're, we're, we're in the process of sort of doing that, you know, doing the same, um, you know, in, sort of you know in parts of asia um you know we we've done the same in australia we brought a number of the groups together there um and we're doing the same in europe so you know we're sort of building those sort of you know pockets of geographies of Everton supporters if you like in their supporters club leads to you know start connecting between themselves first but um as i said then the next phase is how do we how do we expand that so that you know this fantastic and expansive and passionate you know, Everton supporter base around the world can then connect. So it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're in, you know, Jakarta or whether you're in, you know, Utah or, you know, whether you're in, you know, Brazil or whether you're in, you know, Stockholm. 
um, we find a way of making sure that, that they can connect. And that's the piece that I think is the next step and that we're, you know, we're, we're looking to work on now. So I'm very excited about that. And, and look, you know, we'll, we'll keep you involved and up to date on how that evolves. And, and hopefully there'll be, there'll be something before not too long that, you know, that we can share about that. I'm really kind of interested in the virtual away day event. I know I saw something on the Everton FC website uh, taking place this Friday, as you mentioned earlier. I think you've got what Graham Stewart's involved and Darren Griffiths might be there too. I don't know if you can tell us any more about it. I think it sounds sounds interesting, you know, considering kind of the time and what we're dealing with right now with COVID and whatnot. Yeah, well, look, I think as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's in response to you know feedback that the clubs had. Um, you know, directly from some individuals and from, you know, from the, uh, you know, through the forum and, and elsewhere is, 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 you know, just people just, you know, they've not been able to sort of go through that match day routine. And, and you're like, certainly going away, so going to an away match is, you know, is a special thing in itself. You know, where you meet to get on the coach, who you go with or in, in the car, you know, where you go for a pint, you know, all, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, just, just being away, it's, it's a fantastic experience going away to, to watch Evan as those that have done it will, will know. It's just, it's just unique, uh, you know, and the journey back and all the tales of, you know, and what you get up to while you're there. So what the club's trying to do is to, is to bring people together that would normally be sort of planning that and coming together. You know, there's plenty of groups, um, you know, in Liverpool, you know, people like Hans Tours and others that, you know, sort of it's, it's part of what they do. Um, together to you know just to just to sort of just connect and just have an opportunity to talk to each other about you know their best away experiences and what it's like to be in Everton you know what what have been the best games that they've got to and just just chat and connect and obviously you know as you said you know Graeme Stewart and and Darren Griffiths will, will sort of help do that discussion but it's just an example I think of the the club you know wanting to sort of you know do its little bit to you know keep 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 people connected so. You know, I think that's uh, I think that's great. You know, people like um, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, Jay Deacon that does the the talk the the, the talk up, um, where you know he sort of encourages Evertonians to go go for a walk and then brings them together again. You know, because people that have sort of fallen outside their their routine have sort of been leading proponents of that and sort of making yeah. sure that you know right. we, you know they can you know get involved. So you know, it's that's that's sort of what's prompted this. So uh, when what I would say, I mean, look, the timing isn't great for us in North America because. It's in, you know, I think it's seven o'clock UK time in the evening and it's, um, you know, so it'll obviously be middle of the afternoon for us. So I think we're all going to have to either skive off work or you know, whatever <laughs> if, if you want to do it. You know, I don't know how you're going to be able to sort of squeeze your beers in and stuff, you know, in, in the middle of, of the day. But, um, but look, you know, it's open to anyone. You know, I think you, there's a, there's a, a place on the Everton website that you can, you know, you can register to, to get involved. And what wouldn't it be great if, if, you know, like we had people from all over the world getting involved in that. So, you know, we could, we could, you know, build on those connections between the city and, you know, the international fan base. It's a great opportunity. So I, I hope, I hope people are um, going to get involved. Yeah, I certainly hope so too, Tony. And, and just before we wrap up here, let's, uh, can we give people a lowdown on, on how to get in touch with you if they will have any questions, concerns, obviously they're always able to reach out uh, via our discord, but Sounds like, I mean, obviously, and also on Twitter. So could you just quickly plug uh, how people can reach you? Yeah, sure. Well, they can they can email me um, at tony.sampson um, at evertonfansforum.com uh, or any of the other members of the Fans Forum, actually. So that's members at evertonfansforum.com. Uh, we're on all the social uh, media channels. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, 
Uh, we're at EFC uh, underscore fans forum. Uh, and I think it's the same for, for Insta as well. So, you know, people please should feel free to get in touch with us about any issue that they want to. And some of it we might be able to deal with straight away. There's other things that obviously, um, you know, we'll pass on to the club or they might we might already be working with the club. But, what, you know, what we can commit to is, you know, is, you know, certainly we'll, we'll get back to you and we'll definitely pass on uh, those issues. You know, we're, we're, we're really... Really keen to make sure that you know we can we can represent the interests of people, um, you know whether they're, they're in the UK, Liverpool, or or abroad. So if you've got any ideas, suggestions, or concerns, or complaints, or issues, then you know how to get hold of us. Outstanding, and a big thank you to Tony for joining us. As always, great to hear about all the fantastic work and the latest updates of everything going on within the club. That is going to do it for this episode of the American Toffee Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed please do leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice and also give us a follow on social media at USA Toffee Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. And we will be with you guys next time. Until then, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.